0: You're listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Guilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, good morning River. If you are not awake after that video, you should be awake now, so. That's a great message, but I must admit, when those things are coming at me, I'm like, whoa, (laughs) this is bright and early, I'm glad I had coffee already. Hey, I want to say welcome to you this morning, and uh, so glad you guys are here, and if you are having trouble finding seats, I'll tell you a secret, especially if you're new here, there's always a few extra empty seats on this side, so feel free to walk in over here, over this direction, but uh, if you are new to River, uh, we are just especially delighted you're here, Matthias is getting baptized in a little bit, so... I think, uh, I think he's got just a few friends in the house, so uh, we are glad that you guys are here as well. But uh, before we do that, I want to open God's Word and share a little bit with you this morning. I was, uh, I was disheartened a couple weeks ago when, uh, I won't mention his name because I have no interest in character assassination or judgment or anything like that, but I was uh, really dismayed when I heard about the latest Christian leader. Uh, who came out that how he had been failing morally. This was a comedian, and if you know the person's name, most of you will be familiar with him, because he's pretty, pretty funny, although uh, some of the stuff I didn't like, but a lot of I did, but uh, it, it just came out a couple weeks ago that, um, that as a single young man, um, you know, doing comedy all over the country. I mean, this guy's really popular. I think he has over a million followers on social media, had a book that was about to come out, and a new tour that was going on. And, uh, and it came out that, you know, apparently for quite some time, he has, you know, behind the scenes been uh, enticing and seducing women, married women, and uh, that kind of thing involving him in his life. And I don't know where all the realities are, but he admitted to, to a, conceptually at least a good bit of it, and, uh, and it just, it really broke my heart, um, just, you know, once again, and not just the Christian community, and, uh, and I, I, as I've prayed for them, as the struggles are very real, uh, it's a picture of something that, honestly, if we're being honest, that all of us wrestle with our own heart. God made us male and female, He made us sexual beings, He made us who we are, and, uh, and all of us struggle with our hearts being right and pure and honest and true before God. Well, this morning, we're looking at the, the last part of the life of Samson. And if you're at all familiar with the life of Samson, he had that exact same difficulty. So this morning, I want us to see that God, God has designed and has plans for each and every one of us and made us uniquely, wants to use us in the world around us. But how we live our life has a pretty profound impact on exactly how that plays out. So we're going to look at that. Uh, this morning. So if you've got your Bible, feel free to join me in uh, Judges chapter 13. And uh, if you don't, it's going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read two or three verses where chapters 13 through 16 cover the life of Samson. And to be honest with you, we don't have the time to read all those chapters. That's what our life group is for, for you to read them on your own and kind of soak them in and discuss them and go deeper uh, in our groups. But we kind of want to hit the high points of his life and, and because God is trying to, I believe, communicate a message to us through Samson this morning that, hey guys, be careful. You are just like him. You have those same inclinations. You have those same difficulties. You have those same realities uh, in your world. And so, as we've been walking through Judges, though, as you know, that uh, we just have been seeing brokenness over and over again. Israel doing just what was wrong and evil in the eyes of the Lord. And we've been watching every step of the way, it seems like each judge or each kind of uh, not so much hero, but Savior, little, with a little S, Savior, has just gotten worse and worse and worse. And Samson is, he's really kind of a, a mess as a, as a leader. So, so with that, read with me if you would. In Judges chapter 13, uh, look at verse 24. We're just going to read a couple of verses to kick us off this morning. The Bible says this, And the woman, this is Samson's mom, bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahaneh Dan, between Zorah and Esdrael. So, Samson, as we know, remind us remind us all of last week that God came to Samson's mom. Uh, she and her husband were uh, couldn't have children. Something was happening. They were infertile as a couple, and. And uh, God sent an angel of the Lord, most likely, uh, Jesus, before he came to this earth, if you're a theology buff, and, and said, you're going to have a, a baby. And he's going to be a baby boy. And he is going to be dedicated to the Lord the rest of his life. In the Old Testament covenant, he would be what was called a Nazarite. He had to be, his whole life was supposed to be specially set apart and dedicated for service unto God. And in order to do that, there were three things that he wasn't supposed to do his whole life. He wasn't supposed to ever cut his hair. Uh, he had, must have had one serious hairbrush. I don't know how long that hair got, but I can imagine, you know, day in and day out and how that worked. He must have had some serious ponytails or something going on, but uh, never cut his hair. Wasn't supposed to drink any wine or, or, or eat any grapes or even raisins, anything like to do with vine with the, with the vine. And, uh, and he wasn't supposed to touch anything that's dead. Well, Sean, what in the world? Those are like really like, random, like, that's bizarre, you know, strange kind of stuff. Well, I can't know exactly, and we could dive into theology behind all of that. We don't have time for it. But just know this, that when God says you're supposed to do something, it's generally a good idea to do that, good idea to do it, even if you don't know it. So be like the little kid, you know, Mom and Dad said, so you do it, even if you don't know it or agree with it. And that was just kind of God's outward sign as a regular reminder him and to everybody else that, hey, you're dedicated to God. Think of it maybe this way. It's kind of like Old Testament fasting. You know, fasting, we kind of set ourselves apart to God and we focus in and, and we want God to work in our life and we're praying and we're especially focused there. best way that makes sense to me is just to see that whole Nazarite thing is just, he, his whole life was supposed to be that way before God. So the first thing I want you to and, us, and I to recognize this morning is, is that God has a kingdom plan for our life. God has a kingdom plan for our life. Samson wasn't anything special. I mean, he was, but he wasn't. God, God wants to use all of us. Israel was, was being dominated and is the, the same as we've been walking all the way through the book of Judges. They had turned their back on God, and consequently, God gave them over to their enemies, and the, uh, the Philistines were the most recent oppressors, and, and so God was raising up Samson to do something about it. Isn't it. It is interesting that this is the first time that Israel didn't cry out to God for help. Apparently, they're getting numb to things, that God just said, I'm going to do something about it, but Samson was a man who especially from his mother's womb was designed, put together, formed his DNA, his whole, everything about him, even his parents were specially chosen to, for God to use him in the world later on. I mean, he, God told his mom, he said, look, because he's a Nazarite, you need to not drink or touch any, you know, wine or any, you know, grapes or anything. You need to make sure you stay away from everything that's unclean because from the very moment of his conception, he was before God responsible to live a different life, even inside his mother's womb. So Samson was a man that was, was knit together. I want uh, us to realize this morning that before you ever came out into this world, as, as you were uh, conceived and as God put your parts together and as he wove all of that, that God was already planning and working and putting you together in such a way that you would be used in this world for His glory. You're not an afterthought to God. You're you're definitely not an oops, if your mom and dad were one of those, all right, that, you know, in fact, I don't care if you never met your biological mother and father before. I don't care if your mother and father marriage fell apart or divorced and you feel like, you know, you just like, that whole part of my, me and my world is a, is a mess and, and are dealing with the struggles and the difficulties and all of that, I want you to realize, regardless of mom and dad in this, God had a purpose for you and he still has a purpose for you and he designed you especially to accomplish that, that there is something much greater, much more significant in your world with all of the mess that, that, that you grew up with that god has plans for you in his world he wants to use you profoundly and, and and to do amazing things in your life now the second thing i want us to realize is is that god only god can accomplish those things through us we can't do them on our own read a couple of passages i, I think uh samson had to have been like the original superman or maybe a little more modern, a little bit more modern, although that's, that's kind of getting dated. Uh, he was like the first Mr. Incredible, you know, if you've seen some of those movies. Um, yeah, he's not Thor. I don't know the latest superhero movies he'd be like. But he was, he was supernaturally, ridiculously strong. But he was that way because God did something in, inside him. I read already verse 25. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. God the Holy Spirit was doing something in Samson's life. In fact, the story is told in verse 5. Read verse 5 with me. Then Samson went down with his father and mother, and I'll jump to verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord, uh, oh, oh, actually, let me finish that. I'm a little ADD this morning. (laughs) Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. You know, if a lion's coming after you roaring, my general strategy is to run or get out. Now, it's probably going to catch me anyway, but at least if I outrun you, i am probably got a chance, right? You don't have to outrun the lion, i just got to outrun you. And, uh, you know, I could see us all kind of looking around like, okay, who's going to be last man standing, you know? So this lion comes roaring, and verse, verse 6, Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed on him, rushed on Samson, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now, the, the author here is assuming I know what it's like to tear a young goat. But I just, to be perfectly honest with you, I've never tried. Um, I don't even maybe I've touched a bit. Go to a petting zoo. I'll have to visit the Hughes sometime, you know, who have goats, and see if we can do that. I've I know what it's like to pull the hide on a deer, but usually I've used got there's a knife involved and how to do that, you know, and that kind of thing. But what it's saying is, is Samson is ridiculously strong. A lion came at and claws and jaws, and the lion's bite is like one of, one of the greatest bites in all of nature. Like you just cannot open his mouth. And Samson just literally tore him with his bare hands, ripped him apart. Supernatural, unbelievable, just, just ripped him into pieces. He was able to do it because the spirit of the Lord came on him. Why is God telling us this? This is weird. Well, it's telling us for this very reason. Samson was going to be used of God, and Samson needed to be able to see that God was doing something in his life. Really, ultimately, it wasn't about tearing a lion. It was like, oh... This guy's not normal. Oh, my goodness, God, you really are going to do something and use me. Later on, another situation comes up. He, he, we'll, we'll finish out his story in a minute, but right now I'm talking about his supernatural strength and what God did in his life. Another time came when the Jews finally got fed up with him because he, had so, he began fighting back with the Philistines. They got so, so irritated, they began attacking Israel, and then finally Israel, like, Samson, you're causing problems, dude. And so they go and they tie him up. And they tie him right up and they say, they they hand deliver him to the Philistines. Then look what the Bible says in verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Kind of like, finally, we've got the guy. He's tied up and we're going to get him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed on him again. You get the picture again? God the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became as flax. That is, caught fire. It kind of just shrivels up, like immediately as he gets hot, it just goes away. And his bonds melted off his hands. So he literally just, he's all tied up and he just goes raw, as if they were like Hulk, you know, and just, just peels right off of him. And then he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey which if you're paying attention, he just broke one of the Nazarite vows because he touched something that was dead. But he finds just this jawbone, and he put out his hand, and he took it, and with it, he struck a thousand men. A thousand guys. Just sheer raw power. In fact, earlier in a story, I missed it. At one point, the Bible says he caught 300 foxes. This guy was not only strong, but he was fast. He could run ridiculously fast. He was just unbelievable strength. In fact, there's another time he gets, he gets mad at the Philistines and he literally on his way out, he picks up the gates and the doors and the bars and just lifts them right up and carries them to the top of the hill and drops them there, hundreds of pounds. So this morning you're either like, Sean, that's ridiculous. That's like totally make-believe the latest superhero, like Bible edition, you know? <laughs> or you're really like, Wow, God, you really are a powerful God. You're going to come out with one of those two conclusions. And I'll just tell you I'm biased, not because I'm a pastor. I believe the Bible, therefore I end up being a pastor, not I'm a pastor, therefore i got to say the Bible, right? It's the other way around. I've come to believe the Bible is just absolutely true. I've seen way too much of it that makes sense and is true and that fits in the world around me. And I just say, God, Samson absolutely was a specimen of a creature and God, you did something supernatural in his life. Well, Sean, what does that have to do with me? You won't ever be ripping any gates open in your life, I assure you. Um, You won't even probably be tearing goats very much, uh, like paper or whatever. But I do say this, when God designed you and put you together inside your mother's womb and gave you the identity that you are, It's an identity that is first and foremost found in him more than it is with your parents, more than it is whatever your background, your family of origin is. He made you. He made you for himself, made you for his glory, made you to serve him. But your purpose in life and how he wants to use you in this kingdom around you is ultimately you're only going to be able to do that when you do it in his strength and his power. Because God always wants to do stuff with you that you can't do on your own. Because if you can do it on your own, then he doesn't get any glory out of it. When you do it on your own, honestly, it's kind of average and ordinary, right? I joke often with the music team out here. I'm like, okay, I know you guys need new team members. Like, hey, just let me know. I'll step in. I- I'm ready to do it. In fact, you they have this little thing, little band app that they-, they all use that you know that says when they're not there, and they'll create an event like so-and-so's not here this week and else isn't here. I'm ready to put an app like I'm here every week. Like, I- I'll just, you know, I'm ready to go in there and say, hey, I'm I'm available. But what would happen if I did that? You'd be like, Sean, you just might. Yeah, don't. Just don't, you know. Because in my own strength, I can't sing anything. God would have to do a whole lot to make that possible. But in reality, even in our strengths that we serve, we're all like that. The only abilities that you and I have that actually accomplish anything are what God gives us. God wants to do through us what only He can possibly do, what only is possible for Him. That means whatever is going on in your life and your world, if you're, if you're not somewhere along the way like, I'm, this is too much for me, I don't think I can pull this one off. If you aren't thinking that somewhere along the way in your life, then you probably aren't yet, haven't yet discovered the things that God wants you to do. You, you, because God is always trying to grow you and step you in faith. He's trying to, to help you to, to see that He's at work in your life, to do what is impossible. I mean, it's not going to be ripping lions from limb to limb. But at the end of the day, when you see God beginning to use you to change other people's lives, to, to talk to a co-worker, to maybe pray for someone or a, another fellow student that you've prayed for, and all of a sudden you see that student begin to take steps toward Christ and God using you in your life, you know that that's not you. You know that that's God working in the situation around you. When you see God begin to, to use you and, and, and in your family and begin to work with your kids or work in your, in your neighbor's life or in other situations, That stuff is beyond you. You're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. But as you just humbly say, God, if you will use me in this world, then God begins to use you phenomenally. And as you do it, you begin to experience, oh my goodness, God is at work. And it's not just you, it's Him. He gets glory that way. You experience the presence of God in your life. You experience the joy of seeing Him work. And it's absolutely astounding and amazing. What God did in Samson's life is what God wants to do in the life of every believer. Now it's usually not showy like lions and roar and you know that kind of stuff. It's often very. I don't, I'm not going to say mundane because it's never mundane when God works, but it's often kind of below the the surface. You know, it's not always fireworks or just woohoo. So oftentimes we see some of those things, but I want you to to, to realize that as you look around. I want you to know that one, God made you for specific purposes for your entire life. You never retire from that. But secondly, that God wants to constantly be using you in that world and to lean into that and to trust Him and take steps in that world because He wants to do things through you in His kingdom that are beyond your abilities. Because that's really what He cares about most. He doesn't care about he doesn't care nearly as much how many Christmas presents we're going to get, or you're going to get in next month. He doesn't really care as much, you know, about all kinds of stuff that we focus on. But what He cares the most is you living your life in such a way that you allow Him to use you to advance His kingdom. Not just church stuff when we're here. God wants to use you here too. But as you live your life in the world, in the world around you. I heard a phenomenal testimony recently um, a, a guy is not anywhere in New York, so none of you know him. It was absolutely amazing. I said, "You have got to p- do a video of this because I would absolutely show this to my church." Uh, just a little three-minute story that he shared. But he was a mechanic and uh, fixing cars, and uh, far from Jesus, messed up life. He was—he uh, he got like his second or third DUI, and I was getting in fights all the time. and you got to picture this guy. This is not a big guy. He's smaller than me. And he's now a counselor. And I'm just looking at him like, you are pulling my leg. I'm like, you don't look anything like what you're telling me. He's like, no, for real. I was in fights all the time and, and after my third DUI and all of that. And he had this customer that just kept coming to get his car fixed with him. It just, just would disarm him. Like he would be the guy that would be swearing and dropping F-bombs, turning the raunchy music up in the shop every time he would come. And he would just love on him. He would just be like, hey, man, you need to come to my church sometime. Just be nice to him. And his strategy, intentional strategy, was to make it even bigger, to inflate the music and the, like, you know, his hatred and anger toward Jesus all the while, like a defense mechanism. But finally, one day, after like that third DUI, he came back in, and he he was the kind of personality that could talk himself out of stuff, that he realized, he just got on his knees and said, God, I don't know who you are, but if you'll accept me, I want to trust you. And... I want to know you. And God changed his life. Today he's amazing. Listening to his story, and he can tell it way better than I can, but he's now a counselor and helps people through all kinds of stuff as he's just lived through a very difficult life. Completely, completely changed. You know what I'm amazed the most in that story? is not God working his life, but God just using some guy getting his car fixed regularly Just talking to them and not allowing somebody to just blow them off, but just say, hey, man, God loves you. Hey, why don't you come to church? And just consistently, and God was working in His world. You see, if you will, but trust God, allow God to use you, He'll use you in all kinds of areas of life. Well, that's the second thing I want you to know. Third thing I want you to know is our sin messes this whole thing up. You will never feel more fulfilled in life when you're pursuing the purposes of God. All the money in the world won't make you happy. All the position and status and title won't make you happy. Security in this world won't make you happy. All the stuff in this world that, that provides for you, oh, you might enjoy it for a season, but it's like cotton candy. As soon as you taste it, it tastes good, it's gone away, and, it's, and it doesn't do you any good except put some more calories on you and make you need to work out. It's gone. But when you are being used of God in this world, in small ways where you are, going internationally on mission trips, being used of God here, just... There's a fulfillment that God uses. It blesses you. It's amazing. But there's a real be careful in here warning to us in the life of Samson Be careful because your sin will mess this all up. Your sin and my sin will make a wreck in our lives, even after we've trusted Christ and we follow Him. Let's unpack Samson's story just a little bit. I'm going to read a few little snippets that he has a common theme of problems in his life. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. These are the other guys. This would be like, you know, a Yankee going to Boston and seeing a Red Sox and be like, ooh, I want, you know, that. This is like the other guys. He should not be thinking this way. But. So he goes to Timnah, and he's hanging out with the daughter. The, he sees this woman of the, the other team. And then he came up and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. Well, that's just messed up at multiple levels, but we just, I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives, or among all of our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she's right in my eyes. Now, if you're not have used to reading the Bible before, you're like, Oh my goodness, they were racist. Like, she, she, his mom and dad didn't want him marrying somebody from another culture or another ethnicity or another language group. No, that's not the deal at all. Here's the deal the Jewish people were God's people, and God was revealing himself to them so that he could. Could, could provide for them the way of salvation. And God's whole goal was to get it right with one people, one family, so that could then spread to the world. God all along cared about the world and, and doesn't want us racist and all of that. And we can talk a lot about that later on in another message, but that's not the issue here. The issue is, is these people were idolaters. They were disobedient to God and God wanted his people to, be, uh, to continue to follow God. And he knew if they married other individuals that were totally opposite of that, that they would be going down the complete wrong road together. So mom and dad were right to say, what are you doing son? Like you should be pursuing another one. So get the picture. He's just hanging out somewhere else where he really shouldn't be. Sees this girl, sees this young woman. And he's like, I wanna marry that woman. Now maybe that was you, that wasn't me. I didn't love at first sight kind of thing. He hadn't talked to her yet. He had had zero interaction with this woman. I I, I want you to get this. This is crazy. Look at verse 7. Then, another story, later on, then he went down and he talked with the woman and she was right in Samson's eyes. Well, it didn't matter if he was right in her eyes. He's just like, "I, I see her, I want her, I want to get her. There's something a little messed up here that we get a picture. Ladies, are you feeling a little like, whoa? Like, dude, who are you? Like, I'm just not... You know, I'm not the latest Nintendo game sitting on the shelf that you can just walk by and see. I'm not, you know, you just, you're not shopping like I am, I'm a person. I've got value. You just don't have the right as a guy to come and do as you please. Yeah, you're reading that right if you're picking up on that vibe. So, crazy thing is, is then he, mom and dad apparently give in to him, and they go down and they plan a big wedding. And at the wedding, and it's a week-long thing, there's, he makes a bet with people, and he make, it's a whole story you can read in chapter 14, makes a bet with them if they could figure out his riddle that, uh, if they can figure out his riddle, he's going to give them 30 changes of clothing, which would have been like a, a ridiculous amount of money. But if they can't, then he has to give, they have to give him 30 changes of clothing. Well, they go in and threaten his now wife, and she finally gets him, God, Samson, don't you love me? Tell me this riddle. He tells her and she goes and tells them and then they give him the answer, so now he owes them money, right? One of those deals. Well, he gets mad. And he goes and he kills 30 guys, I guess he just leaves the bodies naked, and takes the clothes off them. The Bible is so graphic and real, but this is a true story. Takes the clothes and he's like, Here. And he gets mad at his wife and he deserts her. Leaves her. Gone. And and he's just so angry. And then has the audacity, look with me at, at verse 15. After some days, some time goes by, look, who, look get the picture of his relationship with women here. After some days at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. He wanted to spend the night with her, wanted to sleep with her. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion. Get the audacity. I mean, Samson is just like, see woman, want woman. Doesn't matter what God thinks, just what's what's right in his own eyes, out of his own selfish heart. Gets mad and rejects her, leaves, walks away for days without saying anything, cuts off all communication, ghosted her, to the degree that her dad is like, dude, I thought you hated her. Like, we moved on. You know, you just got married and you guys hadn't even had the honeymoon yet. You left her at the altar. And then he comes back selfishly just like, yeah, I think I'm going to go sleep with her. I mean, that's crazy. Just crazy, his approach of how he thinks he's going to live his life and how he's going to relate. That's who this guy is. Later on, chapter 16, verse 1, Samson went up to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute. And went into her. He's an equal opportunity pig. <laughs> He's a, I mean, he would be a sexist, chauvinist, misogynist, uh, objectifying with him, whatever, whatever jerk kind of name you want to put on him today. That's who he is. And then after that in verse uh, 4, After this he loved a woman, which I found that so interesting. Up to this point he didn't love anybody apparently. But like, oh, here's one he actually loves. I'd love to know what that means. In reality, but he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him and we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. I mean, basically, she got promised (laughs) a million dollars. I don't know how many people asked, but 1,100 pieces of silver is an awful lot of money. And when you have multiple people doing that, so they bought her off. So in, in verse 6, I don't think it's on the screen, but I'll read it to you, you and listen. Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you may be bound that one could subdue you. He was also pretty dumb because she told him what he want, she wanted. And you know the rest of the story. He, she keeps asking him and asking him and his heart is hooked and And Finally he gives it up. He says because he had already broken the other two laws of the Nazarite law He had already eaten touched dead animals He did the lion and that jawbone and he already had wine or whatever the grapes the only thing that he hadn't done was had his hair cut And he told her If my hair gets cut I'm done. I'm like a, a weak a weakling a weak man and she he goes to sleep in her lap and they come and cut her hair and they take him and they capture him and they tie him up and he's a weakling, they put his eyes out and they make him grind grain at the the millstone and Samson's gone because he disobeyed God in the middle of that. So before we get to that ending point, I want to talk about Samson, because of his sin, because of his inability to exercise self-control, over his sexual appetite, his inability to to exercise self-control over his eyes, over his thoughts, over his actions, his whole willingness to just selfishly make life all about him, even in his relationships, even in his relationships with women, his instability and lack of integrity and lack of, willingness to truly serve God in every area of his heart, he never became the man that God wanted him to be. And he was never, even though God still used him in that, which, by the way, is an incredible testimony that we're all broken and none of us are perfect, that God still uses us in spite of ourselves. But he, even in the middle of all of that, he was still just responding out of his own desires and what he wanted to do today we would call that objectifying women and um, that's our, our latest academic cultural social way of addressing an age-old issue can I just be honest let's call it what it really is it's just lust <laughs> the Bible calls it lust uh, I just uh, the other is, is some there's some legitimacy to, to looking at it that way but There's also some ways of looking at it that's not so good. How many of you um, have heard of the the phrase objectification of women or objectifying women? So some of you, many of you have. Some of you might not have. If you're younger, you're absolutely more likely to have heard it and it's talked about in school and classes and social media and all of that. Um, Samson had a lust issue. He did not know how in his heart to exercise self-control in an area that God had made him naturally. We have desires to eat because we get hungry and need food. God made us for a relationship with one another. You can't get past Genesis 2 without that. Male and female, God made him male and female to leave father and mother and be one together like I mean right off the bat. God designed us to have that kind of of relationship along the way. And God teaches us in the New Testament that, that men, we are to, to sacrifice and love and to hold our wives and hold the ladies in our lives in such esteem that we should, should give ourselves to them uh, fully and what is, what is right and what is, what is good. The real core issue, guys, is not a system issue um, as much as it is a lust issue. It's an issue of the heart. If you read the academic papers, I read an academic journal this week, an article from the American Psychology uh, Association that was kind of a study of lots of studies. And it was just so fascinating watching them wrestle with this issue of lust, and they have these terms to it. But it boiled down basically to saying, if, you have, if you're a, w- a woman working in an environment with lots of men, and, that, and they are gazing in that environment, you're going to have sexual objectification. In other words, lust is going to come around in that world. Because what people in the world around us doesn't seem to recognize and realize is that it's what that is is a twisting in our heart of something that is good. And the solution is not taking that out of our heart. The solution is is allowing Jesus to come and redemptively change that in our heart. All of us... God d- desires us to have a relationship uh, with, with someone else and to ha- be able to, to, to love and desire and have the passion, but it should be aimed in one direction. Kind of, It's kind of like, uh, I like to bow hunt, so I, you know, I draw the bow and all of that kind of thing. So it's a wonderful, it's not really a firearm, but it's a, I don't know what it is, I guess it's a weapon, a tool or whatever. One of the basic rules is is you don't ever point that someplace you shouldn't go, right? It's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's a wonderful, fun thing to shoot. I love it. It's relaxing. I love to go in the yard and just, you know, just it's hard and just I like it. Well, that same desire that God put in our heart as men, it should be aimed at our wives. It's not wrong, but it should be aimed in that direction. The problem comes when it gets aimed (laughs) at other places. That's the problem. That's when women begin feeling like these women and just like, who am I? Like, seriously, you're just going to call the shots and expect that you should take something from me and all of that? That's absolutely wrong. Susan and I teach our daughters with our five daughters, all of them, that there's not a single man on this planet that you owe a single thing to. Not one thing. Not one single solitary thing. You owe them nothing. Now, you get married. You have a relationship. God expects a lot for you, a husband and wife. But till that point, you owe them nothing. Nothing. Don't allow you know, any guy to, to, to try to manipulate you or berate you or to treat you in this kind of world. Not at all. Not at all. By the way, ladies, I don't know if you realize this or not, but sexual objectification is not just a problem for men. It's actually a problem for women, too. This is naturally wired this way. Um, you see, the issue is, is when you place value on yourself that's less than what God put inside of you. Let me explain it this way. In fact, the, journal, the, the, the academic journals talked about this as well, and I thought, this is so much Bible and they don't even know. I just it blows my mind how high-end academic liberals can reject the Bible. I'm like, this was solved thousands of years ago if we would just look at it, oh my goodness. It's crazy. You don't need to do a study. It's all right there. But they talked about how when women have so lowered their value in themselves, their self-esteem to be about their looks, that what happens over time, the anxiety that builds up in their heart and the depression that results, and then it causes them to be willing to go places that get that reaffirmed. In other words, when you're so wrapped up in how you look and your millionth selfie for the, that day, and you're so worried that other people see you in a certain light so that you can feel like you have value and you have worth in the culture and society and among your peers, you just have objectified yourself and the world around you. You've taken away the reality that God made you an incredible person. Who cares how you're looking in that moment? It's not about what you're wearing, what your weight is, what size you are. It's not about any of that stuff. It's actually the exact same issue of devaluing yourself in that. Think about it this way. I, I've, I've been on mission trips to like four different countries, three different continents, and one of the things that you always do is you always go exchange money, right? Because our money there is worthless. Well, actually, it's not worthless, and for the dollar Let's do it in reverse. So if I bring their money back to the U.S., it's worthless. If I walked into Price Chopper with a peso or, uh, you know, or yen or whatever, you know, the, the, the people are like, what, what in the world? You know, what is this? The, the, that paper money is valueless in this country. Money has value because our, a country's government says it has value. Okay? So tr- watch this. Ladies, when you place value upon your body, upon your life, upon who you are as a person, based on your looks, based on your performance, based on all of that kind of external stuff, you just accepted the currency of a foreign nation. You just allowed them to have authority over you because you allowed the culture around you to dictate to you the value that you really have. Instead of saying, you know what, the day that my creator in heaven conceived me, he gave me value and worth. He says that I am valuable. He says that I am worthwhile in his eyes, regardless of what other people may think. He's the one that says that I'm awesome today, even if I don't, might not look like the world around me, or I might not have the, 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 the body style and physique or the abilities or any of that, that my creator in heaven says that I am of value, And i'm not going to dare accept the currency from somewhere else into my life i'm not going to trade and give authority to another country over me you see when jesus saves you and we for any of us when we surrender our life to him as lord we're turning our back on sin we're turning our back and recognizing that we're broken and messed up in this world and that god sent his son jesus to pay for all of that junk and we are submitting ourselves into His world, and we receive Him by faith, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of our life, and we have just moved from one country to another. We just have changed from one currency to another, that God moved us from darkness to light, that we now are saying, God, You are my Father, You are my Lord, You are my Savior, You are my King. And because of it, my value is wrapped up in what You've said. None of this other junk out here. The objectification of women is absolutely an issue. And what's so amazing to me is Jesus is the one that solves it. Culture around us will never solve it. Laws will never solve it. Hollywood can't solve it. Liberal media, academics can't solve it. Jesus did. That we find our self-worth in God. We find our self-worth in what he says about us. What he says about us matters more than everybody else. See, ladies, you don't need to wear things to get the attention to find value from whether it's your, your friends or whether it's from guys. You find your value and your merit from the God in heaven. If you were to ask my wife today, she would say, I dress first and foremost to honor God. And I dress second to look good for my husband. I want how he thinks and how he looks at me matters. That's kind of what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says this, he says, likewise also, this is what he's giving his counsel to you ladies as, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold and pearls and costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness or good works. Look, ladies, if you have a braid or ponytail, he's not saying that you're sinning this morning, all right? And if you've got some gold earrings, you're sporting a diamond he's not talking about that. Let's make it cultural. What he's saying is, is your world shouldn't be wrapped up all in how you look. That's what he's talking about. There's way more to you than that. In other words, he's saying don't objectify yourself, but dress in a way that's modest before God in this world and that you value the most living a life before Jesus. That's what he tells you. That's to, to, to live and to deal with that. And men, what he tells you and me, and I just lost Timothy again. We go back. He tells you and me the way that we're supposed to treat ladies is very different. He says in chapter 5, verse 1, 1 Timothy, says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, and younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Guys, he tells us that our relationship to every woman in our life, if they're older than us, to treat them like you would your mom, with respect and purity and decency and all that they deserve, and to a woman who's younger than you, maybe same age or younger, to treat them as sisters. To treat them as you would expect that. I wasn't the best young brother growing up, my sister would tell you that. <laughs> and I would tell you that. But I cared about her. And she's my sister. You see guys, when, when you and I allow ourselves to, to lust to look, I don't care whether it's pornography. Allow those thoughts in our mind towards other women or to even take a little more, little more generically to just value them based on how they look. We're making it all about us. And we're not demonstrating care for them. And we allow lust to creep in and we allow the value of them. We devalue them and what God put inside of them. And we're the ones that are really messed up. And God says, guys, you should care for, protect, love, and treat all women around you differently. So, guys, let me help you with this. If you struggle with these lustful thoughts, and I honestly would struggle with all the guys that I've known and had serious conversations with. I haven't met one yet that didn't. It's just reality. It's a a sin issue. It's a lust issue. The first thing that you need to do is to change your attitude. And you need to consciously before God, God, help me to see all these women as family and we're in good family. Now for some people, I realize we live in a very wicked world. For some people, they go there even with family. And if that's the struggle that you've had or something that you've done or experienced, then my words to you would be to treat them the way you should have treated a younger sister or should be treating a mother. But change your attitude. Secondly, change uh, your mind. Renew your mind, maybe a better, better way. Romans says that we should um, not that we should not be conformed to this world. We're not citizens of this world, but we should be transformed. Live differently on the inside by the renewing of our mind. There should be a regular washing of our minds. Our mind gets dirty. Every one of us it's, it, it, it needs a bath every day throughout the day, like regularly showered, cleaned up, and it 's to be renewed by God's word. If you struggle with thoughts toward ladies, if you struggle with pornography, you struggle with lustful things, you struggle with an affair, what, all any of that, your mind Deeply needs renewing, and two best ways that I know to do it is through Scripture, learning Scripture, but thinking about it, and music. Those two things will help tremendously. Sean, I try that, but you don't understand how difficult it is. Yeah, I'm, I know I don't understand your world, but I'm a guy and I struggle with all those natural thoughts too, and they are normal, but you and I have to deal with them, and in, 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 uh, in a second I'll talk a little more about that, but we have to renew our mind through that and music and God's word begins to change that. Think about it this way when you have allowed yourself to go down that road so much for a lifetime think about it like a deep stain in your heart. You don't just wipe that away. It's not like a little milk just spilled on the table and you just clean it up. This is deep inside of you. Like you're going to have to have some elbow grease and you're going to have to work at this thing and God's got to God's got to do some work inside of you. Oh, Sean, it's hard. Yeah, it is. The longer you go with it, the harder it is because the deeper that's ingrained inside of you because we're talking about issues that are not just... They're, they're, we're, we're all one person. This is a physical issue. It's a psychological issue. It's a spiritual issue. In all fronts, it has to be addressed, but, but begin to renew your mind. Begin to allow God to change your mind and, and begin to change the channel with your thinking. Those thoughts are going to continue to bombard you. In fact, if you've been if you have been allowed yourself to, to, for that stuff to take root and take hold in you, the enemy knows it, and as you try to get out of it, he's gonna pile on you. And this may be simple, but like changing the channel on TV, you gotta change that thought immediately. The problem is not when that thought comes in your mind, our minds get dirty and they need to be cleaned. And sometimes we just aren't even trying and it goes there. And sometimes other people, we see things or they say things. We're like, oh, I just did not want that in my brain right now. Thank you very much. You know. And sometimes the enemy does. You need to get to learn how to change the channel in your brain. You can't just stop thinking about something without thinking about something else and allow that stuff to, to just to wash through and move on and give glory to God. But you address that stuff, folks, if we were dealing with that as a culture as a society there wouldn't need to be academic papers written about objectification of women and all this stuff around because we'd be dealing with it what's in our heart ladies same with you if you struggle and you find your identity and self-worth and value once you wear and being popular or, or being and you you find like you're, you're just never good enough or i just i'm not worthy enough or i can't ever live up to it you got to realize is that you have God, when he saves you, he's moved you out of that kingdom. So that changing of that channel and that thinking has to go. Those lies have to be identified. Allow God to renew your mind and realize you're, you have self-value and it's found somewhere else and same kind of thing. Because if we don't do the, deal with this stuff, guys, it will ruin our lives. It, it will ruin our families. And we will never be what we could be. And it won't be just a spiritual issue it will become a life issue for us. You can't keep this stuff without spilling over into every area of our life. Samson lost it all. I don't know what his business life was like, but when he was captured and they're grinding the mill, he was a slave. He was a free man, and because of his sexual addiction and because he couldn't get this hand under control, he. He became literally a physical slave. He was enslaved to it first, but he became a physical slave, just grinding, had his eyes put out and just grinding at the mill. And his life was absolutely miserable to the point he was even suicidal. See, you and I can't ever let sin creep into our lives without just blowing things apart. We don't have to, because Jesus saves us from all that junk. Let's read the end of the story with Samson, and then I'll be finished. So fast forward, they're throwing a party. The Philistines are like, whoo-hoo, our God beat up on the real God. Dagon is awesome. Our mascot beat your mascot. Bring Samson out so we can do a victory dance one more time on him. His hair's cut. Eyes are put out. Look terrible as a slave. But they didn't notice his hair began to grow back. And it wasn't about the hair, thankfully, because I don't have any. But, uh, but it's symbolic that God was doing something in his life and was at work there. So they bring him in to make fun of him and to mock him. And in verse 28, then Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O oh God that I may be avenged of the Philistines for my own two eyes. Man, he's still like focused on him. But then Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. There were 3,000 people, we're told, that were upstairs. So he's down below in the pillars, and he asked this little boy to help him find the pillars. And he praised to God, God, would you just one more time, one more time, would you let, because he knew his strength came from God, not the hair, but God, would you allow that to happen? And he, and he was looking to die in the middle of it. He had lost hope, and he was so caught in the middle of that that he was glad to commit suicide. The Bible talks about suicide three or four times, at least that I know of. And he died right there in the middle of that. See, he had gotten to the point where he had lost so much hope that he thought his failures were final. Something I want you and I to realize, I don't care how bad you've messed up in life and in this area, ladies or men, this is, this is a huge huge issue in our world and in our culture right now, and if you're taking your cues from the world around us, you're missing the boat. You need to take your cues from God's word, not the latest, you know, cultural fix, but uh, I don't care how much you've messed up in this world. Your failures are not final, and I say that not because you're a really awesome person, or you're cool, or it'll be okay. I'm saying it because Jesus is really awesome, and that God in heaven can save you and forgive you and to give you a new life. The Bible says that when anyone is in Christ, he's a new, he or she's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That God changes all of that. And there's always hope in the middle of it. Well, Sean, I don't know how I see I can get out of it. Some of you, because I just know human nature, some of you feel really stuck. You feel really guilty and you're caught in a cycle of, of lust and whatever, addiction and all of that. And you feel guilty and you feel awful and then you do well for a few days or a few weeks and oh, you go back into it and you wrestle with all of it. I want you to know no matter how you messed up, God's grace is still there to refresh and renew. And there is hope and there's help, and God will help you work through it. In fact, if you're caught in some of those things, I, I wish you would, at the very least, talk with me, talk with Pastor Dan, talk with another godly man or woman here. It's always best ladies talk with ladies, but ladies, if you're caught in it, Susan and I would be glad to meet with you. I don't meet with women alone. But take steps in that, and to know that that your failure is not at all final. That God always will be victorious in your life. That he breaks that chain and that reality. So take those steps in your heart. I don't know what you need to have heard this morning or not. But I think there's probably something in here for just about everybody. So as our worship team comes up, I'm going to pray. And I want you during this next song to reflect on to think about what god is talking to you about we're going to do a baptism in a minute and it's going to be awesome seeing a picture of that new life that we have in jesus but till then i want you to respond to what god has spoken into your heart so pray with me first lord jesus in heaven thank you that you saved us god i just feel so impressed to to thank you that your word is sufficient the world around us thinks that it's old and outdated and can't be trusted, and it's just so ridiculous. It's so, the Bible, your word is eternal and pure and so stands the test of time. Father, we wrestle with these real issues and we see ourselves where Samson is. Father, it's so easy for me to see that Delilah and the prostitute, they, their whole approach to this was a disaster too. But Lord, help us to embrace our sexuality. Help us to embrace it the way that you designed it. Help us to have self-control and to value people the way we should, to treat them in our heart as we should. And Lord, if we treat them in our heart the way we should, then we don't have to worry about what comes out on the outside. We don't have to worry about political correct police or anything because our hearts are pure and our life is full of integrity. Help us to be that kind of people, I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.